Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Hope. Hope is what I now know to be none but a necessary falsehood told to oneself in order to maximize their efficiency before their death. But what happens when you drain someone of all that hope? What happens to one who has had every single drop of hope sucked from them? On first glance, it may seem like a form of death, but without hope, something else is created. Potential. Potential for destruction. For if you give power to one without hope, they will destroy without hesitation. As you see, it is hope that is the destroyer. This is my story and my manifesto. I have found purpose. Slithering beneath my skin is the poisonous, repulsive seeds of revenge, like maggots festering within the exposed flesh of what was thought to be dead, but is now standing back up, standing back up with a red-tainted lust for pain. Well, I suppose if this is to tell my story, I should start from the beginning. My name was Elizabeth. I am currently 18 years old, and I've spent my entire life in a living hell. I grew up in a secluded home, seemingly in a rural area. How secluded is hard to tell, since I was rarely allowed out of the house. Visitors would come over on occasion. I think I can count maybe five different people, though we'll get to them later on, I suppose. I had no brothers, no sisters, just a mom and a dad. My dad was a sociopathic abuser from hell. I speak figuratively, of course, but such wording does not even begin to convey the torture he put me through. Almost as a sick joke, he didn't enter my life until I was seven or so. By that point, I was well-adjusted, happy little girl, not a care in the world. I'll never forget the first day my mother introduced me to him. I was extremely excited. I was finally going to have a father. We had a fireplace, which, as the night came, we decided to light, as we occasionally did. Father said, I want to give you something to show you. I want to give you something to show that you're my daughter now. I walked over excited, but confused, as he was sticking something into the fire. He pulled it out, and it was a makeshift brand. He told me to put my hand down on his lap, and stuck it to the back of my hand as I screamed. And after that day, he continued to abuse me, in every way you could possibly think of. Along with the standard beatings and verbal abuse, he would do more, creative things. He would put bleach in my bath, put out cigarettes on my wrists, force me to slit my own wrists, or rip my fingernails off an arbitrary number of times. As well as being made to take shots of gasoline, I'm not certain how much of that a normal person could take, but my body is anything but normal. Sometimes we'd take a trip, 
We'd go out into the woods and he'd tie me to a tree stump, usually waterboard me or something similar, and then leave me there overnight to be crawled on by bugs before coming back in the morning. And almost every single night, he'd come into my room and, well, you can probably guess. Anyways, moving on from that imagery, my mother, on the other hand, was the complete opposite. She was loving, caring, and affectionate, and always trying to comfort me. She would always tell me that we needed my dad. I never understood why. She was very vague, and every time I asked her, if he heard, I'd be in trouble for something. So I stopped asking very quickly. She was always trying to keep me somewhat sane. She'd buy me movies, play video games with me, taught me how to play piano, how to read, and, obviously as you see me now, how to type on a computer detached from the internet. Anything she could to make me happy. The only rule was that I never spoke ill of my father. She was a picturesque, almost unrealistically perfect mother when talking to me. She never so much as raised her voice, and yet she allowed me to be abused so horribly. It made no sense to me. She was like a saint, comfortably in the presence of a devil. Except for one thing. Every day at 12 p.m. sharp, she'd bring out my lunch, a plate of still-living worms. This also started when I was seven days after my father arrived. She would serve them with a smile, the same way most parents would try to get a child to eat their vegetables. She acted like these worms were just something I needed to eat, and that they were good for me. If I dropped any on the floor, she would politely pick them back up and put them on the plate, even if they fell out of my mouth, usually accompanied with a little giggle, acting like I was just a silly, clumsy girl, and it was all normal. But I refused to eat it. She'd leave the room and my father would enter. After only two weeks, with few exceptions brought on by emotionally snapping, I never refused the worms. I just wanted my lunch to be between me and my mother. I wanted to learn to somehow like it, but it was just impossible. And the other thing I tried so hard to avoid was throwing up. If I threw up, my mother would leave again and my father would burst in and make me lick it up, like I wasn't allowed to miss one single bite of those disgusting worms. To make matters worse, lunch quickly became the only meal I got. The only thing is, I never got sick. You'd think I'd be dead within a week being served living worms, but no, I wasn't. That being said, though, I didn't get sick. I felt something that, to this day... I don't know if it is how it should work. I felt the worms crawling in my stomach, crawling around, biting my insides. I would cry and cry non-stop. My mother would say, I know it hurts, but it will get better, I promise. But it never did. Every time I felt like I was getting used to it, they'd increase the number of worms. They'd get bigger. By the time I was 17, I was being fed by the tub. But... I'm getting far ahead of myself. I often felt bad for the worms. They were creatures too, after all. Before all this started, I had seen them in the now-banned backyard. I'd always admired how they just went about their life, not bothering anyone. Life went on like this. I was homeschooled, by my mother of course, 
though sometimes my father would sit in with us and punish me for mistakes. In addition to the misery, my life had become cripplingly monotonous. The only variety in my life was what new games my mother would bring and what new torture methods would my father put me through. I mentioned in grand words before the nature of hope. At that time, I thought I felt hopeless. I felt hopeless that my mother would never leave this lunatic. I felt hopeless about my future, as I had only learned of the outside world through stories. I felt hopeless that I would never get to stop eating worms and go back to the sweets of my younger years. But that was only the dawn of hopelessness. The few breakups from this monotony were occasional visits from family friends. Three were my father's friends, who just came to assault me in a group, which should be a surprise to nobody at this point. The others were strange. The first, another kid, a boy around my age, to play games with, and a hypnotist. The kid's name was Andy. The first time we met, I had just turned 11. He was a fun, excitable boy and a fantastic playmate. He was a bit of an airhead in all honesty. In fact, I think he may have had some sort of memory issue. He often forgot the things we did in our previous time we met up, and he was extremely unobservant. I was always having to remind him of things. That being said, he always remembered me and the things I enjoyed, which was, well, endearing, to say the least, especially as we both got older. We even kissed a few times in our teens, which meant a lot to me, I guess. Young love always does. I never told him about my father. I was scared most of all that me telling him would result in him getting hurt. Thinking about it now, I miss him so much. I want to hear his voice so badly. He was so innocent, so sweet, so untainted by the hopelessness of my horrible life. Sometimes I would be too broken to speak when he came over, just in sheer shock, and he would be so patient and sweet, yet he never caught on that something was seriously, seriously wrong. I got to see him around once a week. I feel it helped keep me human for the time being, maybe a bit more so than it was intended to. As for the hypnotist, I have nothing to say about her. She'd come over once every two weeks, sit me down, wave something, I'd fall asleep. I'd wake up, she was gone. Her role is minimal and ultimately unimportant, but worth mentioning for the future. So that was my life. It continued in all of its horrific repetition for years upon years. I was constantly being pushed between full-on insanity and some genuine moments of joy. My mother and Andy must have been the very greatest at cheering me up to have kept me from fully being broken for so long. But that was all until I did what I'm sure many of you are pondering the absence of. I attempted to run away, well at least in part. When I made my first and only real attempt I was 17, around a year ago. The doors were always locked and required a key to open both to get in and out and only my dad had the key. We had windows, but I found that they were seemingly bulletproof, though I had not attempted to break them that many times. When I was 13 or so, I had attempted to break them before. Not so much a full-on plan to escape, but more out of frustration. When I did so, not only did I fail, 
but I received the worst punishment I had in my entire life. One too disturbing to burden you with. So I knew when I was truly going to attempt to escape, I wasn't going to mess around. Father seemingly did not expect it whatsoever. I hadn't even expressed interest in it. They thought my spirits were fully broken, but not yet. I had mentioned before how my father would take me on trips into the forest. I decided that when we got out there, I was going to do something drastic. He drove me there in a normal car. I'd be placed in the passenger seat, typically being made to wear a dress with no pockets, as well as typically no sleeves, to minimize the chance of me doing anything. I had managed to get some matches that were left out by accident after a particularly painful torture session, and a balloon from a game I played with Andy, which I managed to fill with some gasoline that was carelessly left when I was being forced to drink it. Bear in mind, these took years to collect. When you have only one goal for your entire life, the things you can do are incredible. I made a bit of a bold decision, and placed the balloon only very slightly filled in my mouth, and I painfully wedged that match, which I had to break in half, in between my right thumb's nail, keeping the red part just out of my nail. It was painful, and slightly hard to conceal, but nothing compared to what I've been through. I had actually acquired several matches at once a while back, and so I was able to experiment with lighting them. I found out that, with these particular matches, if I wedged the front of the match in between one of my smaller fingernails and then squeezed it with another nail and pulled hard, it would light. It was not uncommon for me to go fully mute for hours on end, even days at a time. I had pretended to go mute for hours before I was taken to the woods. Father was so used to it, he didn't even care. Clueless, I had a balloon in my mouth, filled to just the right size I could hide. As we approached his spot in the woods... I began to rip and tear at my thumbnail yet again. Not uncommon for me. I made vague noises and squirmed in place a bit to give the appearance of a panic attack. What I was really doing was ripping my thumbnail off, and, using some leverage against some objects in the car, did so easily. Tears fell down my eyes as adrenaline ran through me. So desensitized to my self-harm, he didn't even pay notice as he got out of the car bringing the keys with him to grab his rope. As he did, I did my trick to light the match and it worked. I now held a lit match in my left hand and spat out the balloon into my right. I smashed it against the door and lit it on fire. To my amazement, it worked. Father ran over, thinking it was a suicide attempt. Not realizing his door was now unlocked, he ran over to mine to open it and I made a dash moving uncomfortably over to the driver's seat and ran outside. He was in the largest panic I had ever seen him in. He was hesitant to run after me, for fear of the car burning down. If it was destroyed, who knows what would happen. He ultimately opened the door and was able to put it out quickly. Not that I know how he did it, as I wasn't looking back for even a second. My goal was to run as far and as fast as I could. It didn't take long for him to chase after me. I ran and ran and ran, crying, choking back screams. For a few glorious minutes, I thought I'd done it. I'd made it. Then I was tackled to the ground. He was right on top of me, venom in his words, punching me in the legs and grinding my face against the ground. 
After a few seconds of excruciating pain, I blacked out. Then began the last phase of my destruction of hope. I woke up in an unfamiliar place. It was almost like a dungeon, like a small cell, black concrete walls, no windows, just one metal door and a few lamps around, out of touch from me. I had a shackle around my neck, attached directly to the wall, a chain around seven feet long. I woke up in silence for a few hours, until the door opened. Both father and mother walked in, and to my shock, mother was crying. Despite always trying to comfort me, she never cried. She was always comforting, warm, even when she knew I was in pain. Not necessarily a good thing, as it came across as very dishonest, but it made this moment shocking. She cried, Liz, why did you do this? We were getting close. I didn't think we'd need to do it this way. I cried as well, in pure shock. What are you talking about? What's going to happen? Please, can we go back to the house? I'm sorry. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. It's too late, Father said. He grabbed my mom by the arm and threw her to the ground. And, mounted on his back, he pulled out a large fire axe. I screamed louder than I ever had before. I knew what was going to happen. I begged. I pleaded. But he paid no mind. He began to hack at her body, chopping off limbs from her legs to her head, with a morbid precision, keeping her alive as long as possible. And for the first time, my perfect mother berated me. All you had to do was stay, you useless bitch, as she took her last breath. Her ability to speak through pain is rivaled only by mine, confusing me even more. I stared in disbelief. The woman who had spent her whole life keeping me sane, dismembered in front of me. All I was left with now was my father. Hope had been destroyed. Well, almost. The only thought I had left resembling positivity was that someday I could meet Andy again. I formulated fantasies, outlandish fantasies. The FBI could bust in and save me, and I could live with him as he's the only person I know. He could somehow have found my location and let me out. Fantasies upon fantasies that I constantly retreated to, though I struggled hard to even suspend my disbelief for those obvious works of fiction, more and more as days passed. But these were the only thoughts I could retreat to, as it was the only source of positivity I had that wasn't dismembered in front of me. His torture got even worse, and the worms... The worms had elevated to an insane degree. Buckets upon buckets of worms, I was forced to eat every day. Yet I remained bone thin. I wasn't throwing up anymore. In fact, I didn't even dislike it anymore. He would bring out the worms and I would feast with vigor, eating, eating, and eating. It was infinitely less painful than everything else and, at least, it was some kind of sustenance. Something I got to do. Some sort of stimulus other than humiliation and agony. That feeling of them squirming in my stomach became the closest thing to pleasure I had outside of my fantasies. I had no water. I didn't defecate. I didn't gain weight. I didn't lose weight. I didn't feel hungry 
nor full after finishing. But in the moment of eating it, and for those minutes of squirming inside of my stomach, I felt something, anything. Then one day, a familiar face opened the door, the hypnotist. At this particular hour, I had gone mute again, laying on the ground with nothing to do. I looked up at her for a moment, and as I did she stepped forward, and with only a snap of her fingers I was asleep. I woke up an unknowable period of time later, and found something most questionable. A bunch of worms, somehow attached together in the shape of a cylinder, with a candle in the shape of the number 18 on the top of it, lit. It took me a few minutes to realize what it was. It was a birthday cake, something I hadn't seen in 11 years. Only made of worms. Father stepped in, clapping sarcastically. Happy birthday, Elizabeth. You're an adult now. I didn't respond, feeling nothing but dread. He pushed the worms closer to me and removed the candle. Eat up, he said, some strange level of bitterness and excitement in his voice. I ate as I normally do, finishing it very quickly, as it was so much less than he had been given me. Now, it's time for your present, he said stepping forward. Behind him, a man, hell if I know who, dragged a cart with various items on it towards me. They took the things off of the cart, with me now realizing it is a table with shackles attached. They detached the shackles from my neck and lifted me onto the table, strapping me down, my neck, arms, and legs strapped down entirely, to the point I was fully immobile. And in addition, a piece I had no good view of was placed over my head making it impossible for me to even slightly move it. Father then picked up one of the objects off of the ground. A drill. You know, you sure that beautiful face your mother had. He spouted, halfway through cackling in a monotone. I didn't say a word. Well, now I'm going to give you a new face. He turned on the drill as I began to scream. I was used to, I was used to horrible torture but he had always found some way to make things non-permanent this time. He didn't care. He then began to drill into my face. My cheeks, my forehead, my nose, my chin. He tore me apart. On occasion, spraying an anomalous gas on my face that I don't care to find the origin of. My mind went blank as my head was literally torn into. That was until I realized something. All of those fantasies, escaping, seeing Andy, everything, he was destroying it. That suspension of disbelief, that pathetic hope, wasn't going to survive this. Assuming I survived this, which knowing his ability to keep me alive all along, I figured, somehow I would. I was to be hideous. It was something I didn't even realize I cared about, but I did. After what felt like hours, he was done. All I could see was my own blood, and then felt bandages cover my head, before being ripped off again. Hearing a light, it doesn't matter, mumbled beneath father's breath. I didn't fall unconscious. I hadn't from pain since being taken here. I laid there, feeling so cold and dead. All of a sudden I heard the drill start up again, away from me. Then all of a sudden I felt a sharp pain where I didn't expect it. 
drilling inside of me seemingly indiscriminately. He had mutilated my genitals. I think the hypnotist found that my only remaining fond thoughts were of Andy, and so they, well, took away any hope of being with anyone. It seemed like such overkill, doesn't it? I knew he was perverted, so I guess I wasn't surprised. But in actual reality, I didn't believe I was ever escaping. I had accepted this as my fate, so why? Why did he feel the need to do this to me? Well, after I'd like to say, maybe an hour or so, it's hard for me to say as I am highly detached from a sense of time. I went limp. Fully, completely limp. I was not dead. I was not asleep. I was not unconscious. I was just limp. Father left the room, me still on the table, seemingly not even bothering to do anything to stop me from dying from the wounds he had just inflicted. But I think in his head, if I didn't survive it, it was all futile anyways. I remained limp and unmoving in any way. My eyes were open. I stopped blinking. I'm certain I should be dead, but I was awake. I wasn't eating the worms anymore. The next day he brought out the buckets, I didn't respond. I laid there, and laid there. He smacked me around, took an ice pick to my ribs, checked my pulse. I was alive, but I did not move. You see, when you remove all hope, any hope, you become nothing. Many times in your life you will find that you feel no hope, but this is incorrect. The majority of the time, you do have some, some buried deep in your most obscured subconscious. No matter where you are, there is some hope, some, even if irrational, hope within you. But not me. I was gone. No hope left. Even my furthest fantasies had died. I laid limp, wondering why I would not die, why I wouldn't fall asleep, why nothing was happening. All of a sudden, I saw something move in front of me. I didn't move at all, not even my eyes but I saw none other than a TV being drawn before me. And what began playing almost seemed pointless. Holocaust footage as well as reenactments, snuff films, videos of girls being raped, violent statistics from places around the world, news stories. I didn't know why it was happening, and I didn't care. A long time passed when I heard a voice, a voice in my head. Curiously, I had never heard this before, You'd think with the isolation and insanity I experienced that would have happened years ago, but it never had. Now, however, I heard a voice in my head that was not my own. Elizabeth, the voice called. I made no mental or verbal response. The time is now, Elizabeth. I'm here to set you free. It is time. It is time. It is time. I am you and you are me. Move, Elizabeth. Move. Stand up. Eat the worms. Eat the worms. Eat yourself. Eat the land. Eat your god. You are a monster. You are a creature. Get up. Stand up. Break the chains. It is time. Revenge, Elizabeth. Revenge, Elizabeth. It pounded in my head. The voice went from one voice to a chorus of voices. From dozens to hundreds to thousands of voices. So then I listened. 
I moved a muscle for the first time since my disfigurement, and the shackles shattered in a second. I limped over to the worms, all dead now. I unhinged my jaw and swallowed it all, as if it were something I always knew how to do. Three buckets gone in seconds. I saw the door open, and standing before me was my father. My God, he gasped, a terrified grin on his face. My daughter, what did it... Yo! He began to continue. The moment I heard him call me his daughter, I snapped beyond any reasonable measure. I felt the worms pulse through my veins. As out of pure instinct, my arms stretched out, further and further and further. My skin stretched thin, as if I was not gaining any additional skin or muscle, but instead it was being stretched like rubber. And as my arms got thinner and thinner, and longer and longer, I saw the unnatural shapes of worms, thousands of worms squirming around as it stretched out. I grabbed his face and ripped it open, clean in half. My arms turned to normal, still with the beating feeling of worms moving around under my skin. A feeling that turned from shock to discomfort, to a sheer, 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 sheer unbelievable feeling of power. I walked over to the dead body of my abuser, thinking about what to do. For a second I shuddered, realizing I missed my opportunity to torture him back. But then, it hit me. Those movies they showed me, the Holocaust, those statistics, people being tortured, all of it. I'm not alone, am I? This world is full of people like my father, abusers who take pleasure in the harm of others. This world is full of people like mother, people who claim to have your best interests in mind, yet turn a blind eye to your suffering. After coming to this realization, my mind still racing, I took a step out of the door for the first time, and that's when I saw him, Andy, in pieces, pinned to the wall. This world is full of people like Andy, blissful innocents waiting to be killed by the predators. And this world is full of people like Elizabeth, victims that are harmed with no hope to live. Hope is a lie we tell ourselves, a lie so strong I had to be disfigured to realize it was false. It was then I noticed worms spilling from my abuser's head, spilling all around in the hundreds. The worms, they are what humanity should be. They prey on none. They live. They die. I am to turn the world to worms. Worms do not have hope. Worms do not need it. They do not aspire, and so they do not destroy. I am to be the hawk, the predator. I shall force you underground. I shall force you to cooperate. I shall turn this world to my victims equally and indiscriminately. I have not become what I hated. I have come to eradicate all that I hated. Tonight I march on the world of the unknowing. I will find out where I am in the world. I will find the most populated locations. I will find the leaders of this world. I shall turn them to worms. I shall rip them open and let my creatures, myself, fester where they stood. Let these be your last days of hope. The last hope you have left is that I can be killed, and we'll see about that. It is time to end the reign of man. 
I now know why my mother fed me worms.